It's good to see you. He is risen. risen And that is why we're here. We're we're excited to be here. I'm I'm so excited to be able to, to spend some more time with you thinking about the significance of Jesus Christ. Because he is the most significant person in all of creation and history. And, and that is a good thing. Don't, don't let your, you know, the, the world's influencer, I, me, fame, ethos, make you feel upset or sad that you're not the most important person in your world. That's okay. That's a good thing. I'm thankful that I'm not the most important person in my world. You should be thankful that I'm not the most important person in your world. And so we've been in this five-week journey where we've been walking along, metaphorically, the road to resurrection. If you're new with us, we've been taking five weeks, this is the fifth week, to look through the gospel of Luke and really address this question, who is Jesus historically, and then who is Jesus for me? But I don't mean that in a sort of I get to decide what reality is, postmodern, your reality is different than my reality, your truth is... No, I'm saying that in light of who Jesus actually was and what he actually accomplished, what does that mean for my life? In other words, today, what is the significance of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ for my life? Five weeks ago, we, we looked at... at Luke chapter 3, and we considered this guy, John the Baptist, kind of weird guy, ate locusts and honey, and he had camel, a camel jacket. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we know that it was not normal. But he was preparing the way for the Lord. He was really paving this road to resurrection for us. And then we, we looked at chapter 8 of, of Luke and considered the fact that, that Jesus is He's the Lord of the storms. He's the Lord of your storm and my storm. That he's sovereign, as some theologians would say. That he's, he's in charge, as a parent would say. He's in charge. He, he tells the wind and the waves what to do. And we can trust him to tell um, our life's circumstances what to do. We looked at chapter 9 where we saw that Jesus is the one who's worth our lives. Jesus calls us to deny ourselves, take up a cross daily, and follow him. But he doesn't just leave it there. He, he explains that when you do that, when you give up your life, you get everything. And if you try to hold on to your life, you lose everything. And then last week we saw in chapter 19 that Jesus is a promised king. And he's worthy of our worship. We were considering this, this image of Jesus going and, and proceeding in this, this royal procession from Jericho down to what's called the Mount of Olives, and and he was being received by his disciples as a king. And the Pharisees tried to stop stop the worship and told told Jesus, you need to correct your disciples. And he said, you know what? If I tried to stop these disciples from worshiping, the rocks would cry out. That God is so worthy of worship. Jesus is so worthy of family, your worship, that if we were to stop, God would would bring about worship from from creation. In reality, creation does worship. And today my hope is that we would all recognize and respond to the fact that Jesus is our risen king. I want you 
to respond, to recognize, first and foremost, that Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a wise philosopher. He's not just a a philanthropic humanitarian. He is a risen king. He has victory over death, and he has authority over all of life. So we're going to read out of Luke chapter 24. Now this is a long passage, so we're going to read together kind of the latter portion, but we're going to go through the entire passage. We're going to read Luke chapter 24, verses 30 through 35. And again, if you're new, if you haven't been with us in a while, it is our tradition for us to stand together. So I'd invite you now to stand with me. If you're online, I'd love for you to stand with me as we show respect and honor to the word of God the revelation of God. And we're going to read out loud together because it's good to hear the word spoken. Luke chapter uh, 24, verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it. and And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose on the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. God, I come to you and I ask that you would give us spiritual sight. You've told us in your word that the, that the enemy, the Lord of this world, has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing your glory revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now, speak through your word, and give new life and new sight. And God, at the same time, I pray that you would clean off the eyes of those who follow you, but maybe have have had their sight dulled by life, by sin, by struggle, by circumstance. God, I ask that you would open our eyes to behold the wonder and the glory of Jesus Christ, our risen And in recognizing him for who he is, God, I pray that we would respond in faith and in testimony. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So in this section, we really begin at the end of the story, the end of this this, uh, little narrative. But the story really begins in verse 13. And as we, as we look at this story, the, the story of the, the road to Emmaus, if you were to ha- open your Bibles, which I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 4, verse 13, or go to it on your phone. If you were to go there, you might see that it's, it's labeled by the, the publisher as the road to Emmaus. And it's the story of these two guys on their road to Emmaus. And we can lay out the plot of this story uh, in, in four sections. You have this this conversation in verses 13 through 24. This conversation, which then turns into a confrontation 
in verses 25 through 27, and results in recognition in verses 30, or 28 through 31, and finally, a proper response in verses 32 through 35. Conversation, confrontation, recognition, and response. Let's look at this conversation. In, in verse 13, it says, that very day, two of them, talking about the disciples, Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh, some of the women who, who were following Jesus actually went to the grave. They didn't find Jesus. They were going to anoint his body with, with spices, but they don't find Jesus. Instead, they have this angelic experience. They see an angel talk to him, and they go back to the disciples and tell them what happens. Peter actually runs back afterwards and finds the same thing. The tomb is empty. Jesus is gone. And so that very day, two of them, talking about these disciples, not just the 11 disciples, Judas has died, um, but the 11 plus some of the others that follow him, two of them are going to a village named Emmaus. They're probably going back home. It's about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, this is not a, a super long trip, but it also isn't a short trip. Seven miles is it's a significant amount of time if you're walking, even if you're walking fast. And they were talking to each other about all of these things that had happened. They were discussing them with one another. These were two disciples who had been following Jesus possibly for the entirety of his ministry, and he is now dead. And so these guys who had been putting their hope in him, who had saw him as he's going to be our ruler, he's going to be the king, we've been under Roman uh, uh leadership and oppression, and, and, and God has promised in the Old Testament that there's going to be a king who's going to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. They had put their hope in this guy, and then they saw him die a shameful criminal's death, and they're talking about these things. And I love the way that Jesus comes in. In verse 15, it says, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And you can almost imagine they're talking to each other you know, one, is, one of them, their name is Cleopas. The other one we'll just call Bob. But Cleopas and Bob are walking. And then all of a sudden they look, oh, there's a guy. And he just kind of shows up. Uh, and, and Jesus begins this interesting conversation with them. They're talking and, and it says in verse 16 that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And that's, that's an important point to to. Note, write down verse 16, because in a moment we're going to see that they will recognize him. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And I, and I asked myself as I was reading this, why? Why? I mean, in one sense, you see Jesus, you know Jesus, you spent three years with Jesus, then you see him again, you're like, oh, Jesus, it's you. And there's nothing that we see in Scripture that says that anything was manifestly different about his his the way he looked. You know, in fact, in, in another section, he looks the same to the point that he has scars. Right? There's a continuity from pre-resurrection Jesus to resurrection. There's a, there's a continuity. So why is it that they don't recognize him? Well, first of all, they think he's dead. And normally you don't expect for dead people to show up, at least not walking beside you. You know, there are movies about that, but they, that goes a completely different direction. They don't think that he, that doesn't cross their mind. It's not part of their schema, although it should have been. Another reason, they expected the Messiah, the one who would rule as king in the line of David, would, would establish an earthly kingdom. So not only did they not expect Jesus to be 
alive because he had just died. But, but they had this whole idea of who Jesus would be. And him dying to them was also the death of their, their understanding of God's salvation. Because they had an expectation of what God was going to establish. You know, in, in some of the other gospel narratives, you hear some of the disciples saying, who's going to be on the right side? Who's going to be on the left side? Who's going to be in, in your cabinet, Jesus? Who's going to be in charge when you establish your kingdom? And, and Jesus has to say, guys, you're completely on the wrong page. It's not going to be like that. You know, I'm not going to have a general and a commander of armies. I've got angels for that. Your, your leadership's going to be very different. They didn't have the right expectation. So if you put yourself in their position, your king is dead. You're, the one you were following is dead. And, and even your idea of what your life was supposed to look like is dead. And this other guy shows up. So you can almost expect that there's like, okay, you know, not really giving him a second thought because they're navel gazing and, and thinking about life and what are we going to do? And what was the last three years for? And, and what's going on? Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Jesus is funny. I mean, we know, right? We're the audience. This is ironic. What are you guys talking about? He doesn't ask because he doesn't know. Family, Jesus doesn't ask questions because he doesn't know. And they stood still looking, and sa looking sad. Again, irony. Mm, our Lord is dead. Oh, really? Tell me more. You know? Verse 18, and then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these days? Where have, do you live under a rock? Some significant things have happened recently. Do you not subscribe to Google News? Do you not have Apple News on your phone? Are, are you not aware? Have you not walked outside? Where have you been? And Jesus doesn't lie. He just says, what things? I love it. He's, I don't, I mean, he's not messing with them, but he's certainly stringing them along. And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Do you hear, do you hear the despondency? The missed expectations? We had hoped that he was the one who was going to bring us out of this Roman oppression, was going to reestablish an, an Israelite nation. We had hoped. Family, maybe, maybe you've hoped for some things. Maybe you saw some things in Scripture about God blessing your life and, and giving you a particular life, and, and you framed it in your own way. Maybe you, you dressed it with your own trappings and you've lost hope because you feel like, man, it hasn't happened as I expected it would happen. We had hoped. Moreover, some women from our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, verse 23, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, that they had even seen visions of, uh, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Verse 24, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. So they have this additional thing that they're not willing to quite bite on. They're not willing to quite believe these women. They go back and say, Jesus, he's alive. He's not in the tomb. And they're like, okay, well, that's weird. It's almost like they don't hear that Jesus is risen. They just hear that the tomb is empty because they're sad. If they believed that Jesus had risen, if they took the women's testimony for what it was, accurate and, and true, they would be saying Jesus is alive. But they didn't. And family, some of you are in this room and you've heard over and over and over and over and over. You've heard me say it over again that Jesus died on the cross for your sins in your place and he rose again, defeating Satan's sin and death and he offers eternal life to you. And you're like, well, that's weird. That's weird. And I'm telling you, I'm asking you to do what they're going to do, which is to recognize that Jesus is alive and respond in kind. And some of you, family, you believe it at one level. Yes, Jesus is alive. That's why I'm here today at church. But on Monday or on Tuesday or on Wednesday, where's the faith in your life? If we believe that Jesus is the Lord of all, he's ruler of all things, he's sovereign over all of your circumstances, then why are you looking at your circumstances and saying, this is too much, God, I don't understand. I'm going to die. I can't handle it. We talked about the disciples crossing over the, the Sea of Galilee and, and Jesus had told them to go and they were walking in obedience and he, he's asleep as this huge storm comes. And, and the, the thing that they did that was wrong was not going to Jesus. It was not believing the words that he had said. It was appropriate for them to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, would you help us with this circumstance? But they said, we are perishing. So here we see them reflecting back even the testimony of these women. And yet they're saying, we are perishing. <clears throat> Jesus hears them out, but then he confronts them. If we look at verse 25, it says this, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And he began, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So again, this is a seven mile journey. And Jesus he begins to unpack the Bible. But what's interesting, he doesn't even talk about the, the testimony of the women. He says, guys, you don't even need the testimony of these, these women. You have the Bible. And let me tell you, the Bible wasn't there just to tell you what to do and what not to do. It was to testify to who you were to hope in and what you ought to expect. Who is this person? If we go back to, to Genesis chapter 3, you don't have to go there now. I would encourage you to, to, to go there eventually. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The fall has happened. Adam and Eve has sinned against God. They've walked away from him. They disobeyed him. Jesus, or God, comes and he, he interacts with them. What's happened? And they confess. And he, he pronounces these curses. And he says this in, in, chapter, in verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent who had deceived them. 
Between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. What does that sound like? He's talking to the enemy, talking to Satan, talking to the evil one. And he says, you know what? I'm cursing you and there's going to be an offspring, a seed of of Eve who is going to crush your head, who's going to defeat you decisively. That is what theologians call the the proto-euangelion, the the proto-gospel. It's the first, we don't get the gospel just, you know, in Matthew. God is at the beginning of creation already setting in motion his plan of redemption. That's how good God is. He's so merciful that that as soon as something happens, he says, I'm going to fix it. He's got a plan for it. He's had a plan for it. If we were to look elsewhere, we would see that he's had a plan since before the foundations of the world. Jesus is teaching them. If we go to Isaiah, I'm, I'm just going to hit a few of these guys. If, if you want, you can, most of your Bibles, if you look at the, the Luke chapter 24 verse, I'm going to help you. So if you've got a, a reference Bible like I do, I've got a little bar if you don't have a reference Bible, you've got a reference Bible called Google, and you can go, but caref- be careful, please. Don't, don't believe everything you read on Google. Um, and he goes and he says, uh, in verse 27, he began with the Moses and the prophets, and he interpreted them all of Scripture. If you will look in your Bible, th- they will list off, oftentimes, references that you can go to. I'm just going to go to a few. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, talking to the people of Israel. And in the middle of this, he talks in verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 14, he talks about this one, Emmanuel. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And it goes on in chapter 9 to refer back to Emmanuel and says in verse 6 of chapter 9 of Isaiah, For to us a child is born, we know this because it's Christmas. Uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And he goes on to promise that there would be a king. But not only would there be a king, um, he would be this, this servant who would, would suffer on behalf of the, the people. Um, it goes on to talk about in, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. That cheat. There we go, Micah 5 2. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth one who is to be ruler in Israel, who coming forth from old and from ancient of days. There have been so many promises of, of the one who would come and, and who, who would rule. In, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 52 and 53, or sorry, 53, it says this in verse 3, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. What does that sound like? It sounds like, that sounds like the crucifixion. 
And we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What does that sound like, family? That sounds like in Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus, God was preparing the way. It sounds like the Old Testament was providing a picture of who the Savior would be. There's one one teacher I listened to, a guy named Brian Chapel, who talked about the Old Testament and said that in the Old Testament, you don't necessarily always see a pointer to Jesus as much as you see the, the area around Jesus. You see kings and judges who can not rule well and with righteousness, they, they fail to do so. They fail to reflect the justice and the righteousness of God. And you get this sense that we need a better king. You see the priestly service where these priests were supposed to stand in the gap for the people of Israel. They were supposed to uh, intercede on behalf of the people of God. And there was supposed to be a means by which they could bring about righteousness and holiness in the people of God. But we see that even that system fails to work. Every year they had to give Sacrifices because every year the people of God disobeyed. Every year they failed. There was not change. So we see these kings and these priests unable to do what God, God had intended for them to do. And actually we see that God is pointing somewhere. He's providing a picture. And then we see the prophets come and they, they look at the covenants of God. They look at the, the things that God has said. If you will obey me in these ways, I will bless you. If you do not obey me in these ways, you will have these curses. And these prophets continually call the people of God back to repentance. They call the people of God, if you will repent and follow your king, follow your Lord, then he will bless you. He will take you out of exile and he will reestablish you. He will restore you. And yet, the prophets are unable to draw the people back. And in the Old Testament, you get this sense that we need a better king. We need a better prophet. We need a better priest. Jesus says, were you not aware that it was necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? They go from a conversation to a confrontation. And what's funny is is at this point, they're kind of tracking, but they still don't get that this is Jesus that they're talking to. They're like, this guy is smart. It's really helpful. And so it says in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going and Jesus acted like he was going to go farther. <laughs> and, and he waits and they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far. Don't go. Come stay with us. Come stay with us. So we went and stayed with them. And then we, we get to verse 30 that we read together. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Verse 31, and their eyes were opened and they what? Recognized him. Verse 16 says this, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And now we see that their eyes were opened and they recognized him. They saw Jesus for who he was. They're seeing and then they're seeing You can see in one sense and still be blind. And I fear that some of you are here and you you are hearing my words and you're seeing, but you're still blind. Now for the disciples, it was this, this, they were eating together. And I, I, I so appreciate this. They were just having a meal. 
You want to know what's holy? Sit down and have a good meal. You want to know how they could recognize who Jesus was? It was about how he ate. You know, in the Barnes household, we eat a lot of spicy food. My mom's Korean. I grew up eating a lot of kimchi. I didn't know until I got married that it was not normal for you to have cayenne pepper in the restaurant uh, portion. I mean, we had that shaker, and I, I guess that's what we do. Until I found out you can buy it like that, and I'm like, that's not going to last. <laughs> we eat spicy food. My kids eat spicy food. I love it. I love it. And sometimes they'll get into spicy food, and they'll come to me, and I know that they've gotten into something spicy because that's what we do. Maybe the lips are red. You, you suck in air because that cools your You know, don't, don't drink soda. That's going to make it worse. They, they, my daughter, she'll, I got to get some bread. She knows. She knows what's up. This is how we handle spicy food. You, you press through the pain. It's good stuff. So if, if you see someone, it might, that might be a Barnes. That might be a Barnes. They were eating at the table with this guy they'd been talking to. They hadn't recognized him possibly for hours. But there's something about him breaking that bread. And their eyes were opened. There's something about having been in fellowship with him. And finally, finally, the other shoe drops. And they get it. And they recognize him. And then they respond. It's so funny. Jesus, as soon as they recognize him, he vanishes. Like, well, I'm done. Kind of wish that he had hung out and they could talk about it. That was funny, Jesus. That was crazy how you did that thing. You came up and we didn't even see you. And, and then you ate with us and you broke the bed like you always been broken the bread. And, and, and it, we saw you, but he just vanishes. And they said to one, one another, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus was applying the word in such a way that he was igniting a fire in their soul. Family, this, this word of God, this word is intended to ignite a fire in you. This isn't just a checklist. This isn't a dictionary of behaviors. This isn't a, a, a holy manual this is, this is kindling to ignite a passionate life. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us, while he opened the scriptures to us? And they rose that same hour, returned. They went back another seven miles and, and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed. And he's appeared to Simon. Simon wasn't lying. He's not crazy. We can believe these ladies. We have seen Christ. Verse 35. Then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them. What? In the breaking of the bread. Didn't know him when he was expounding scripture. Didn't know him when he was walking. But just some, something about being in fellowship with him and, and breaking the bread. And they, they get it. What was the significance of the resurrection for these guys? They went from thinking that their hope was dead to having renewed hope. They, they went from thinking that their king was dead to having renewed hope in a risen king. They, they also had to shift their expectations because they thought that this is what, this is what the kingdom's going to look like. This is what this is going to look like for me. And then Jesus comes and they realize, oh, there's, this is very different. 
Something different is happening here. Family, I want to encourage you that the the resurrection has significance for your life. This is not just a story that we tell every year because we want to be more holy than everyone who, you know, goes and plays with the Easter bunny. This is not something that we do once a year because, because that's what you do. That's what my mom did. That's what my dad did. That's what we do. And then I'm going to go eat some ham and whatever else is traditional. And, and then Monday's going to happen and, and it's going to be the same thing. No, the resurrection has, has application to your life and my life. Very direct application. Because the promises of hope that these guys were holding on are the same promises of hope that are available to you. Do you hope for life that extends beyond 80 years here on earth? Do you have a hunger to see more than just just living life here and and the, the temporal nature of our existence? Well, that's because you've got eternity in your soul. And there's hope in the resurrection that the eternity that you have and you experience is an eternity in fellowship with the creator of all things, with the ruler of all things, with the king who has risen. It's significant to you, family, because God has a kingdom that he's inviting you into. He's calling you into. He's drawing you into. But it's significant, family, because if there is a risen king, then you are not king. If there is a risen king, you're not in charge. You don't get to say, this is how I'm going to live my life. You don't get to say, this is my purpose. You don't get to say, I'm going to believe what I want to believe, how I want to believe, when I believe. As I said, I think last week, it demands a response. And I say this in love. The resurrection demands a response. And to not respond is to choose to say that it is insignificant and therefore to respond. But it is significant for your life. For each and every one of you. If I could call you out by name, I would. I would take the time. It's significant for you. Jermaine, it's significant for you. JC, it's significant for you. It's significant for you. And the question is, do you recognize him? And are you going to respond in kind? Whether you've, you've recognized him before or you've never recognized him, today, in the way that you confess and you live your life, do you recognize him as the risen king? Not just a great teacher, not a guy who says, why don't you live this way? Maybe yes, maybe no. But as the king to whom you must submit your life, and if you recognize him, will you respond as a faithful citizen of the kingdom? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you love us. And I think that you, thank you that the, the means by which the way that you showed your love to us, as you tell us in John chapter 3, verse 16, is that you sent your son, that you loved the world so much that, that you sent your son to die for us. And God, I thank you that he rose again. That he, he didn't just give us a good example of sacrificial love, of, of loving people to death, but he did it. And he made it possible for us to come to you even in prayer right now. 
If you're in this room and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've been wrestling with it. Maybe you've been hearing me for the past five weeks and you've been trying to weigh your emotions and your thoughts with, with what you know that God is calling you toward. And today you want to respond. I'd love for you to pray with me. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it's a, it's a reflection. It's a response as we talked about. It's a recognition and a response. And today in praying, you could respond, not just with a, a nod or a, a sense of, of agreement, but with words that say, I believe. If that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand. Again, there's nothing magical in the prayer or the raising of the hand, but it's a response. If you're online, you want to respond, you can do so by, by letting one of our hosts know. Just pray this with me. Jesus, I recognize that you are not just a good teacher, not just a wise philosopher, but you are a risen king. I recognize that and I want to respond in faith in you, trusting you and repenting of everything I know to be sin, of turning away from everything I know to be sin. I want to follow you. Help me to follow you. Jesus' name, amen. Family, he's risen.